Ephesians chapter 6. And this evening we are continuing our study in uh, Christian warfare. Uh, we're talking about these different pieces of armor that Paul enumerates here in Ephesians chapter 6. And these are things that Paul says that we need to put on for our protection. So Ephesians 6 gives us these spiritual weapons that every Christian needs if we're going to withstand the attacks of Satan. Now it's not enough for us to have the power of God. And that might be a statement that surprises you a little bit. It's not enough to have the power of God. We also have to have the protection of God. And we have to have this, this, these weapons that God has supplied if we're going to fight in this warfare successfully. Well, the piece, first piece of armament that we talked about was the, what well, I called it, the, the uh, belt of truth or the belt of the Bible. And as Paul puts it here, to have our loins girt about with truth. And the meaning of truth in that passage is that we are to bind ourselves up with the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. It's the whole complement of Christian doctrine that we believe. Then the second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And that's the piece that we're talking about tonight. So we're discussing what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, last week was the first part of the message, and this evening we'll finish the discussion on the breastplate. So if you look in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start reading once again at verse number 13. If you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's Word, we'll read verses 13 through 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, where we, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for everyone who's here. We ask you, Lord, that you'd open up your word to us. Help us to understand better what these things of Scripture mean, and help us to put on the whole armor of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's look at that text verse once again, verse number 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. In the last message, I was able to uh, talk a little bit about what Paul means by this breastplate of righteousness. And we started out by explaining all the different types of righteousness that are spoken of in the Bible. Now, before we actually go back and to review that material, I want to just mention again what this physical breastplate is and what Paul is comparing this to. Uh, the physical breastplate was a piece of armor that the Roman soldier wore. Usually it was made out of leather or a very... Tough, uh, tough material, and it was a piece that covered the entire torso of the body, from the neck and the shoulders all the way down to the waist. Sometimes it even went down just a little bit further than that. And uh, this, this leather piece of, of armor, this breastplate, had woven into it things like horses' hooves sometimes, sometimes animal horns, and it covered that entire part of the body. Sometimes it was made of metal, sometimes of mail. But the idea is here that it covers up this part of the body that contains all of the vital organs. 
And of course, the people uh, back in the ancient times, they believed that the seat of emotions, the affections, and the will, this was all centered in this part of the body. And so when Paul begins to compare the physical breastplate here and the spiritual breastplate to that, then uh, he's saying that we need to have that part of our of our. Uh, being completely covered up with righteousness. We need to have our emotions and will protected from the wiles of the devil. So Paul tells us to put on that breastplate of righteousness for protection. Well, the next question that we would ask then, what exactly is it that Paul means by righteousness? What's he talking about here? Well, we discussed last week three different types of righteousness, and we're going to go back over those once again. And uh, then we're going to add one more righteousness that we believe is also taught in the Bible. So let's start with that. We're just going to review these first three, the types of righteousness. And the first one was individual righteousness. And I use that term, individual righteousness, because I want that to refer to the desire of the individual Christian to live correctly, to live a holy life. It's really the sanctification that's brought about in that person by his faith in Christ. Individual righteousness is that we are a holy vessel, that we can be used by God to carry out God's will in this life. Well, I I believe in personal holiness and personal righteousness, and I think that every one of us ought to be a separated people. We ought to live to God. We ought to look like, act like, think like a Christian ought to act and never to, to be a part of this world. The Bible says to come out and be separate. So we have a special calling uh, to be Christ-like and exemplary. We need to be a good testimony for the people of this world so that we might be able to share with them the gospel of Christ. So that is absolutely essential for every Christian. You must be a holy person and will never minimize the importance of being holy people for God. Now, unfortunately... There are many modern Bible translations that erroneously translate this phrase in Ephesians 6 to point out that that is exactly what Paul means here, that he's talking about individual righteousness. And there are some commentators also who believe that's the correct interpretation. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. I don't think that he's talking about protection that's afforded by our individual righteousness. And that's because I think that our personal righteousness is too frail. We still have weaknesses of our flesh. We still have an old nature that's inside of us. And that old nature tends to sin. We're always vulnerable to the, to the flesh. And so as strong even as Paul was, the great apostle Paul, as strong as he was in the faith and as a holy man that he was, yet he still struggled with sin that was in his life. And so he talks about things that he, he did things that he didn't want to do. And the things he wanted to do, he didn't do those. So there was always that struggle within his life. So I don't think that he would be talking about his personal righteousness, and he would never put that front and center. And then we also have another meaning that that some people think that we see here, and that is with infused righteousness. And I mentioned last week that sometimes theological terms mean different things to different people. One of the tricks that that the cults use is to use the very same theological terms that we use, only they attach different meanings to them. Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, they'll use terms like justification and use terms like faith, but they don't have orthodox meaning. And so a, a Mormon may say to you, oh, yes, I believe in justification by faith too, but he doesn't mean exactly what you mean by that. His terms are vastly different, and that's one of Satan's tricks because he tries to draw people, uh, people in by that 
by making them think that we're all talking about the same thing. So sometimes when you use a term like infused righteousness, that means one thing to one person and something to someone else. But what I'm talking about here, when I say infused righteousness, I'm actually referring to the Roman Catholic idea. Uh, Righteousness that's begun by Christ and then perfected by man. In other words, Christ is the source of our righteousness. Then that righteousness becomes inherent in us. And the person who receives that righteousness now has, uh, has the responsibility of whatever he does with that. And if he does not improve upon the righteousness that's been given, then he will be finally lost. So infused righteousness is actually the Roman Catholic misunderstanding of justification by faith because they believe that you're justified by both your faith and your works together. So you receive Christ's righteousness, but then you must work to maintain that righteousness, and if you don't, then you'll be finally lost. Well, Paul is not talking about infused righteousness. What I think that he's speaking of here is imputed righteousness. I believe he's talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ when he speaks of the breastplate of righteousness. That is the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's the perfect righteousness of Christ. And this is righteousness that was earned by Christ's perfect obedience to all of God's laws. Now, we need to understand that Christ possesses two types of righteousness. He has inherent righteousness... And that he has simply by virtue of the fact that he's God. He is inherently righteous. But he also has an earned righteousness. And that earned righteousness is what he earned by keeping the laws when he came here to this earth. Now, God can't give us inherent righteousness. God wants us to be his children, but he knows we can't be his children without righteousness. And he knows that he can't give us inherent righteousness. He can't give that to us because that's one of the attributes of God. That's one of those things that makes God really what he is. And so he can't give inherent, uh, that inherent righteousness to us. And so what God has done then, he's provided a means by which we can become righteousness. He allows that by us receiving a type of perfection that we would have if we were able to keep all of God's laws perfectly. Now, of course, we can't keep all of God's laws perfectly, That's impossible because we're sinful creatures. We have that sinful nature, an inherent sinful nature. And and no matter what, that sinful nature is always going to tend to sin and won't do anything else but sin. And that's why Scripture says that as we stand before God, uh, we we have righteousness that's just like filthy rags. Now, God's means then of making us righteous is to transfer the righteousness that was earned by Christ's perfect obedience to the law. Now, again, God can't give us the inherent righteousness, so he gives us earned righteousness. So when Christ came into the world, he earned a righteousness that could be credited to us through faith. And when we place our faith in Christ, he transfers that righteousness to our account. And so when God sees us, he sees us as all debts paid. There are no blemishes on our account. All that he sees is the perfect, clean, white righteousness of Christ that's been transferred to us. And that's what imputed righteousness is. Another way that you could put it, 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 exactly what it means is to be justified by faith. Those are almost equivalent terms. And that's to receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, that's what I believe Paul means. The breastplate of righteousness is unfailing righteousness. So no matter how many fiery darts that are thrown against it, against us, it will never penetrate the armor. 
There's no crack in this armor like there would be if we were talking about our, our own righteousness. So this will never be penetrated by the devil. It's a righteousness that cannot fail because this is Christ's righteousness, his own righteousness, and he puts it up for our defense. Now, this is the real reason why, that when the devil comes against us with accusations, those accusations will never stick. And the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. But every time that the devil accuses a Christian, a born-again believer, God just points to the righteousness of Christ, and he says there are no blemishes there. All sin is under the precious blood of the Savior. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles just a moment to 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1. And uh, I want you to look at this because there's some words here that I want you to underline in this text. Just turn a few pages back there towards the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, we're looking at verse number 1. And John writes here, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, you'll notice here two words that are very important in these verses. The first one is the word advocate. And you can underline that word advocate there, because that is the same word as paraclete. It means someone who's called alongside to help. It's the very same word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit in the book of John, when he said, the Spirit is coming. He's called alongside to help you. But there's also another meaning to this word in Scripture, and it means the lawyer. And so when we're accused by Satan, Jesus stands alongside to help to plead our cause before God. Now, God is the righteous judge. He's the one who determines, are you saved? Are you lost? Are these sins on you? Are they not on you? And Jesus Christ, as our advocate, our lawyer, stands in the presence of God, called alongside to help us and to defend us when Satan makes an accusation. Then in the second verse that we just read there a moment ago, John gives us the basis why Jesus can plead the cause. So the next word for you to underline is propitiation. And what that word means is one who covers our sins. He he blankets our sins so those sins can't be seen. And so it also means that, that the righteous judgment of God has been satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did was to take our obligation for punishment away. Now, in those verses, we find the two-way street of imputation. Our sins are imputed to Christ, or they're charged to him, and his righteousness is imputed to us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And you might want to write down 2 Corinthians 5.21 right next to 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. Write it in the margin of your Bible because there you can look back that again and say there is the two-way street of imputation. Jesus has been made sin for me and I have been made righteousness in God because of him. So although the devil may accuse us, he never makes any accusation stick. Each of those accusations is Satan's fiery dart, but none of them will ever penetrate the imputed righteousness of Christ. If even one got through, our eternal salvation would be lost. Now, that's great. I mean, this is a wonderful thing 
to have this imputed righteousness of Christ. But we still have to go one step further because coupled with imputed righteousness is another type of righteousness. And this is what we call imparted righteousness. Now you see, that's all great. It's great to have this, this uh, imputed righteousness of Christ. I mean, that's the very basis of our salvation. That's why we stand justified in the sight of God. We have Christ's own righteousness. But the problem here is that I still live in the flesh. I'm still here in this life. I'm not in heaven yet, and I still have no inherent righteousness. The imputed righteousness of Christ, that's the very thing that makes me a Christian. But I need something more than that. And what I need is I need a way to work out that righteousness in my life. I have to have some way to live that righteousness. And so what God does, he imparts righteousness. And what that is, is where God works through me in this new nature that's been implanted by regeneration. And so we have imputed righteousness, which is for our justification, and we have imparted righteousness in regeneration. And what that is, it's actually a, a a righteous nature that's been imparted. That's what's been given into us. Now, I hope you can see the difference between what we're talking about here, the imputed righteousness and an imparted righteousness that's actually a nature that comes into it. Now, in this earthly body, we're in the old nature. We have this old nature, and that's because of our association with Adam. The old nature is sinful. It'll always be sinful. Never any good will ever come out of that old nature. It's always sinful. But when you become a Christian, you become a new creature in Christ, a new creation, and this new nature is implanted in you. And the new nature comes by regeneration. That's what we mean by being born again. And that's what enables you to walk in righteousness. It's the new nature out of which all this righteous living proceeds. So it's the new nature then that grows in grace. Whenever we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, those are fruits of the Spirit, and they grow out of that new nature that's been implanted by regeneration. So the imputed righteousness of Christ, brought about by faith, enables the imparted righteousness of Christ, brought about through regeneration, to begin to work in us. So what this is, then, is the positive, righteous display of what's taken place in our hearts. And so imputed righteousness gives rise to or activates imparted righteousness. That's the evidence of salvation. And let me say that for sure, I mean, this, this evidence will be there. there. There's an evidence of a change in your life when you become a Christian. And if the evidence of imparted righteousness, having a new nature, is not shown in your life, then that's evidence that the imputed righteousness of Christ has never taken place. Now, I hope you see how that works together. The doctrines of God's Word here, they begin to just to shine forth and work together when you see that God is doing this all by acts of grace. And so when the Scripture says, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, what that means is it's the merited righteousness of Christ imputed to you that causes you to act in a righteous manner. And you will not act righteously any other way. So these are the types of righteousness. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we claim that imputed righteousness of Christ, which is our justification. And then the new nature is able to live in righteousness. Now, that brings us then logically to the next heading, which is the test of righteousness. When we have on the breastplate of righteousness, there will be a display that we're actually wearing it. 
people will be able to see that we have on that breastplate of righteousness. Now, obviously, they can't see a physical thing, but they see the outworking of this righteousness of Christ that's been given to us in our lives. Now, remember, I said a moment ago, imputed righteousness gives rise to imparted righteousness. Now, we know this scripture in James that says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So the righteousness of God by faith always shows itself in righteous living. So what's the evidence that the person is wearing this particular armor? Well, first of all, this person will exhibit the joy of obedience. When we rely on Christ's righteousness, we walk in obedience. And that's the practical outworking of imparted righteousness. If we go over there again to 1 John, we learn about the results of obedience. John tells the audience that he's writing to. He says, now here's the reason I'm writing to you. He says that your joy may be full. That's what he says in uh, 1 John 1 verse 4. Then he goes on to explain things like keeping God's commandments. And through keeping commandments, we receive uh, the assurance of salvation. Obedience brings joy into our lives. Now we find out that most of our unhappiness doesn't come because we don't have enough money. Our unhappiness doesn't come because we don't live in the nicest house on the street. The cause of our unhappiness almost always is disobedience and unconfessed sin. And so when we take John's advice to walk in the light of obedience, then you end up where Paul is when he talks about his blissful state of contentment. You Remember when Paul said, I'm content in whatever state I am? That's because he learned to walk in personal obedience to God. Now, outward circumstances never bothered Paul. So he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Then he goes on in verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, let the inward man is renewed day by day. That's happiness. That's walking in joy of obedience. And so that's the evidence that the breastplate of righteousness is securely in place. The fiery darts of Satan cannot penetrate it. And so troubles and persecutions, being forsaken uh, by, by people that were around him, it never fazed Paul. He was able to go on because he wore the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the second evidence that we have of this is the fruits of the Spirit. I mentioned those just a moment ago. Without the armor that protects the vital parts, those inward emotions that we have, the will, the innermost being of man, without that protection on us, if you don't cover all of it up, then what happens is you will not have the fruits of the Spirit. Love will not proceed from you. You'll be short-tempered rather than long-suffering. You'll indulge rather than having self-control or temperance. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be disheartened rather than having faith. That's what happens when you don't have on the breastplate of righteousness. You don't show fruits of the Spirit. Then another evidence of this is the rewards of faithfulness. Now, sometimes uh, preachers have favorite sermons that you preach, and one of my favorites was when we were... Uh, studying 1 Corinthians, and I preached to you about the Christian's day in court. And I talked about how that God will judge us at the judgment seat of Christ. Throughout our lives, we explained that, that every Christian is building upon the foundation of faith that he's placed in Jesus. 
Christ has provided for us a firm foundation. And then as we go through this life, we build upon that foundation. Well, there are many Christians that are busy, very busy, always building on the foundation. The problem is they're using inferior building materials. And so rather than doing things that they want to please God, they do things out of selfishness. They do things out of pride. They, they want to satisfy themselves and people that are around them and impress people rather than to do things that God would have them to do and to receive praise from God. And so what they're doing, they're always building on that foundation, but they're building with wood, hay, and stubble, using inferior building materials. Now, on the other hand, there are Christians that are walking in the light. They pay attention to what God wants them to do. They're listening to God. They're following God. And so they're building on the foundation also. But the Bible says they're building with with precious stones, gold, silver, precious stones. And so they're building a lasting structure on that foundation. Well, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Scripture says that our works are going to be tried, yet so as by fire. And so we're going to face the penetrating eyes of Jesus Christ like fire, and he's going to see through every motive that we have, every reason that we do what we do, every intent of our heart, and the eyes of Jesus will burn up everything that hasn't been done for his honor and glory. Then what you have left is all the good. The good begins to shine through, and that's when Christ gives you reward for the faithfulness that's there. And so when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you are building your life out of goodly materials, and the Bible says you will receive reward. But if you're the kind of Christian that you go around day by day with the breastplate of righteousness laid off somewhere in a closet, you sit and you watch TV and you go to work with ungodly people all the time and hang around with ungodly friends, sometimes, or it will, in fact, wear off on you, temptations will mount and you give in. And the result is you end up with nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. So the Bible teaches there is a reward for faithfulness, but there's loss for unfaithfulness. It tells you that if you're a child of God, you will be saved in the end. But the judgment seat of Christ, I believe, will be a time of remorse for some Christians because of all the worldliness that they've got into. And you'll realize at that time that while you were wasting your time doing what the world does, that your friends, your family, people that you could reach for Jesus Christ, they have died and gone to hell. There'll be a time of remorse for this. Now, fourthly, a fourth test for righteousness is the praise of God's glory. If we go back and we review how Paul starts out the book of Ephesians, we see there how he builds it up piece by piece, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, especially those first four chapters, about the marvelous things that God has done. He speaks of how God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He tells us how he chose us before the foundation of the world. He speaks of our predestination to the adoption of children. And then he says, this is all done to the praise of the glory of his grace. From there, Paul goes on to talking about God's wisdom. He speaks of the inheritance. And then he comes right back one more time. And he says, God did this for you in order that you might be to the praise of his glory. And what that tells us is that God is, is not ultimately working all things out in the world for good for us, simply for us, but he works it out for him too, especially for him or primarily for him. And quite frankly, if you want to keep nailing it down, only for him. It's all for the praise of his glory. So God created you, he made you, who gave you the ability to worship him, to serve him, to do works of righteousness for only one reason, 
to glorify him, that you might be to the praise of his glory. Now, what happens is, when we fail, when we sin against God, we tarnish God's glory. We tarnish the reason that he's put us here. Now, I like to think of it this way, that when we're wearing this, bright, this, this breastplate of righteousness, it's, it's, it just gleams in the light. The sunshine of God's light reflects off of it. And I say sunshine, I mean S-O-N shine. The sunshine of Jesus Christ reflects off of that breastplate of righteousness. So this breastplate is one of our spiritual weapons. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that's where the righteous man finds himself. This is his position. Righteousness as a breastplate will bring us into the subjection of Jesus Christ. The seed of emotions, our will, our happiness, it all belongs to Christ. And it all becomes real because of this breastplate of righteousness. So what should we be? Well, here's the last statement on your listening sheet tonight. Last one for this message. We must be instruments of righteousness. And this is what Paul says in Romans 6. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Isaiah said about God, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And if God did that, if God put on righteousness, then certainly we need to do that. We must also have righteousness as a breastplate. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to bring your word. I ask you, Lord, that you help us to better understand this, what it really means to know Christ, to have the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, may we ever uh, have the outworking of that in our lives. May we show also your imparted righteousness that's been given to us in the new nature. Lord, we pray that you might bless this time of invitation tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand.